If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Last week we covered verses 1 through 11, and this week we're doing the grand total of two verses, verses 12 and verse 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So just thinking this week, man, what a privilege we have in studying God's Word. Amen? Amen? I am ready to teach because God is good and He is faithful and He's going to remind us things this morning and teach us this morning. So Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, have you as always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is good, for, excuse me, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Verse 14, if you're wondering, says, do all things without complaining and disputing. That's just a warning if you come next week. You might not want to show up. <laughs> That's a joke, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> complaining and arguing is something we like to do. Okay, here we go in verses 12 and 13. You might remember last week in chapter 2, 1 through 11, the mind of Christ living in humility, esteeming others better than ourselves, looking out for the interests of others. There was a problem in this little church. Paul's the writer, writing the Philippians, two ladies offending each other. It happens in all churches. And he gives us the mind of Christ. He says, fulfill my joy. So make me happy by being like-minded, having the same love, being like Christ, who forgave and loved us even when he did nothing wrong. So the trick to verses 1 and 11 isn't keeping score. You did this, I did that, blah, 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 like marriage, life, relationships, people. But it's saying, I forgive you because Christ forgave me. That's the essence of the whole message last week. And this is not easy, but Paul wrote that specifically in this little postcard to the Philippians because there was a break in relationship. There was offense. There was bad blood, okay? So he is telling them to have the mind of Christ. We don't want to stay too long there because we were there last week, and we'll try and get that online if you haven't heard that message. So he moves on to verse 12. And we're only going to cover these two verses because these are pretty important and powerful verses. Therefore, the first word in verse 12, looking back, okay, you want to act having the mind of Christ. He says, my beloved, because he loved them there, and hopefully we love each other, as you have always obeyed. What an affirmation for them as a church. Not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I always have these kid examples, but they're adult examples too. But sometimes kids are really good at putting on a show in front of people. Or maybe you at work. Let's leave kids alone. The boss is around. 
you're the perfect employee. The boss goes away, things tend to slide, you might not do what you're supposed to do, when mom and dad are around, okay, things are okay, but when they're gone, the mice will play. He's saying to them, you need to obey whether me, Paul, the one who planted this church, he's saying, the one who's teaching you, whether I'm here or not, God is there and obedience is important. Referring back to lots of things, but especially the beginning of chapter two, whether someone's looking at you or not, you have to obey. Amen? Now, I am a preacher of grace. I am a preacher of love. But the word of God always says there's a response to those things, and it is obedience. Hello. This book is full of commands that don't save us, but bless us if we obey them. This is really important because we're living in a society where obedience has become a secondary thought. If it's hard and I have to do something I don't want to do, I don't like to obey. Or if my desire is greater than the word of God, obedience takes a second level. And this is in many things, including trust to his promises, but sometimes we're so busy playing God in our own lives, trying to fulfill what we want, that we totally disobey what God has said. Not the easy things, but the hard things as well. Therefore, looking back, forgiveness, so forth, if you're not going to forgive, you're living in disobedience. Hello. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dan. This is hard stuff. But Paul says, obedience is important. He's telling them, hey guys, you're doing a good job, but don't just obey when people are watching you. Obey all the time the truth of what God is telling us. And don't let your personal preference or desire supersede obedience to the truth of God's word. good stuff, right? We love to tell our kids that. You got to obey, right? You got to obey. But adults, we got to obey. We got to obey. That's what God is telling us. Now, I found in my life talking to people in all sorts of different things and sins, a lot of times it comes down to, I just don't want to do it, okay? That's what it comes down to, their desire to do the sin is greater than their desire to obey. But there has to be something in your life that shows you that obedience is greater than what you think or what you want. And when God takes that place, when Jesus takes that place as more important than what you want, you will find obedience in your life. I'm telling you right now, obedience is hard. You might say, well, I'm okay, but that person over there, pfft, my spouse or my kids, they got to learn a lesson. Obedience is hard for all of us, correct? 
it is. We have a tendency that's next week to complain and argue, murmur, right? We could just take that as an example. God says, do not complain. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, exhibit number one. Sin and disobedience is complaining. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We're really good at that one. But that's next week. I'm just saying it's hard sometimes. But you've got to have something that's greater than what you want or you're not going to obey. Do you understand that? You have to have a living relationship with God that he is so real that when you are about to disobey, you're going to say, I can't do this. Because God doesn't want me to, and I know he's real, and I know he's a part of my life. He's not a figment of my imagination. He's not a feel-good goosebumps at church, but he is actually alive, and I cannot hurt the one I love, and I'm not going to do that. Otherwise, you're going to do that sin to do what you want, get what you want, all the time, until you truly experience the living God. Amen. This excites me because so many of Christians are living in a relationship with God that is not alive and they wonder why they disobey. It's because they don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't know his forgiveness. They don't know his power. They don't know his love. And so then presented one or the other, I'm going to do what I want because that's not really real. And God's not going to help me anyways. Da, 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 da. So I end up living in sin. And Paul's saying, don't do that. But if I know God's real, oh man, there's going to be a stronger motivator than the sin itself. Does that make any sense to you? See, we need to be living in a real relationship with God that he becomes so important that sin comes here but I know he's so real. I just can't do that. That's why he says, work out your salvation very clearly at the end of this verse with fear and trembling. Okay, let's make something clear. You guys are all good scholars of the word of God. You cannot earn your salvation through works. Amen? Ephesians 2.10 says very clearly that you're saved by grace through faith. It's a work of God. Jesus on the cross and you having faith in that which brings you into a living relationship with him. There's nothing you can do in any way to be saved. Are we very clear on that? So when he says to work out your salvation, he's not saying you work for your salvation. It's not that your obedience saves you at all all. Now, some of us come from backgrounds where if I do right, well, then God's happy with me, and then I'm pleased, and I'm going to heaven. If I don't break this rule, this rule, this rule, I'm okay. No, it's Jesus dying on the cross. It's his grace, his amazing love, and as he gives me the ability, having faith in him, that saves me for eternity, so I cannot work in any way for my salvation. Okay, we got that clear. Let's move on. 
But he says, he uses that word to work out our salvation. But he's not saying work for, work out. Work out. Now in the Greek, it might help you. He says, act out your salvation. Does that help you? But I love work out because it's almost the idea of working out. Who likes to work out here? Okay, two people. <laughs> All right, that's good. That's good for this example. So here I brought, it's time to work out, folks. Yes, right here, my sneakers. Because we need to take off our shoes that look good in front of people. Yes, I got these from my brother-in-law. Thank you very much. Uh, but we need to take off our dress shoes that make us look good in front of people. And we need to put on our workout shoes, which will make us strong for Jesus Christ. Right? So these shoes were a blessing. My other brother gave me these shoes. He has a business in selling used sneakers. He makes thousands of dollars a year by buying shoes from a thrift store and selling them online. So I thought, well, if you're making money, you better give some to me for free. <laughs> but if you don't know, I started running a couple years ago. What started that for me is I saw that I was out of shape and tired and I was always into sports, okay? I loved sports, but I didn't like sports without a ball <laughs> or a puck or without competition. But it came to my attention, my lack of energy and my kids making fun of my lack of energy, it was time to start running. There was another something involved, but I'm not gonna mention it because they make fun of me. <laughs> so I got these shoes and I started to work out. Run. Run. I found there was no other activity that could cause me to sweat as much as running. And I started running around my yard. Who's ever been to my house? Anyone been to my house? Yeah. I have a yard. And you might think, well, Dan, you started. Whoa, well, how big was your yard? <laughs> was it 20 by 20? How big was it? That was a big start. You did one lap. Wow. <laughs> no, my yard is big, big yard. The Lord blessed us with a big yard. So I can remember starting, I could only get around the yard two times, and I had to walk. And I thought, I hate this. I do not like this. A couple weeks later, I made it to three times. Another month later, four. Another couple weeks, five. Another month, six, eight. Of course, then I capped myself because that's plenty. But I had to begin to work out the body that God had given me. For most of us, there are some of us who are ill and can't do that, but for most of us, he has given us somewhat of a body that can function, but exercise is difficult. And we have to start slowly, but we have to make a choice whether we're going to do it or not, whether that's walking, swimming, it doesn't have to be running. I just use this as an example to work out. Maybe you like to go to the gym, but you got to start somewhere with the gift that God has given you. And if you can't run, that's fine. You walk. And this isn't about exercising physically, but now I'm going to talk to you about exercising your relationship with God.
Because I believe, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if we mention that you are saved, that God has blessed you with his spirit which lives in you. But now you need to act out, work out what you have been given. Do you understand? It's not working for, it's working out. But here's the problem. When I want to do that, my flesh is going to scream, no, I want what I want. And there's many times when I want to exercise now, where even I'm saying, do I actually want to do that today? I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I'm tired. But then I'll get up and I'll go. And it's winter. I'll go to the Smith Falls Arena, run around the little track. I have all my friends I never speak to. I just wave to them. They all got up and got there as well. But God has given them bodies, and some of them are much older, and they're walking, and I'm doing my little running, which looks like jogging or speed walking to my wife. And I work out what God has given me. What God has given me. I want you to understand that. What God has given me spiritually is himself. And now I'm acting out, I'm working out what it looks like to be full of Jesus. But I have to get off my rear end, get my shoes on, and allow him to give me what I need to start the walk. And there's too many of us who are giving into our flesh, who aren't acting out, living out our salvation that God has given us. Yeah. And so Paul is saying to them, because he sees sin and he sees disobedience, and he, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is saying, yeah, you obey when I'm there, be careful when I'm not, but would you please start to work out, act out what you are, a believer in Jesus Christ. So some behavior is not fitting, so I have to trust God to live out what he says I am. And then he says with fear and trembling. Now some of us might have a problem with that. Fear and trembling. Well, fear is the beginning of wisdom, correct? Fear is a good thing. I find sometimes in my counseling of people, they need the fear of God woofed into them. And I'm just being honest. Well, I was saved at eight years old, and I feel I can live like I want to, and I came into this relationship with Jesus, and I'm actually having an affair now and sleeping around, but it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you serious? No, we're not going to say it like that. Sin has become so acceptable, but we claim some past experience of a belief in Jesus Christ to act the way we want. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. You can't do that. You need to be what you are. You need to act out that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So it takes a little work for me to get off my keister to say, I'm going to be what God created. And sometimes we need a little fear, the fear of the Lord within us. Now, I wrestled with this because I know fear is the beginning of wisdom, but I've learned with my kids and people, fear doesn't hold you. Love does. 
But fear and love aren't separate. You know what? Fear and love are together. Our picture of fear is always being scared, but fear in the Bible is reverence, respect, right? It's like if you did have a good father, and some of us haven't, where they've misused power, but a good father in love who demonstrates you can't do that, which is really important, right? That we say, I don't want to disappoint my father, and I fear who he is, and he loves me, so I don't want to do that. Now, Jesus even talked about fear in Luke chapter 12, and if you want to understand fear a little more, this is the teaching of God on fear. He says, you shouldn't fear anything in life except me. People can kill you, but they don't have the power to send you to the second death. Only God has that. And that's what you should be afraid of. That's the words of Jesus. But then he goes on to say in Luke 12, but yet I know the hairs on your head and I want to care for you so much, even as I feed the, the sparrows and the birds, I love you so much. So then there's this sense of, I fear the one who has the power of eternity and is great and I reverence him, but then I got to turn around and say, wow, he loves me. And he doesn't want to hurt me. That's incredible, because sometimes people are like, well, there's no contradictions in scriptures, but I will tell you there's tensions. There's tensions that the Holy Spirit speaks into. Where, I'll give you an example, Ephesians 5, it says clearly that a husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church, right? But then Jesus says, if you don't deny and hate mother, father, wife, brother, sister, you cannot be my disciple. It's like, blah, 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 blah. what? You're telling me to love like God, you're telling me to hate. What is it? But each is spoken for a specific reason to a specific crowd purpose. So it creates a tension, but it speaks in our life. So just like this, fear and trembling, there's a tension between love and fear, but they're actually together. So the person who's living in sin saying, well, I'm okay with God, you better start to tremble in your shoes if you think you can live in sin and not fear God. Amen? But the person who comes to me, wherever I am, I don't really use my office, but the person who comes to me and says, oh, Pastor Dan, I'm so scared. God doesn't love me. I watched an inappropriate program. I'm going to hell. I prayed for five hours last night. I'm going to say, chill out. God died for you to forgive your sin. Do you understand the tension in how the Holy Spirit speaks into where we're at. And this morning, specifically in acting out your salvation, if your desires are greater than God's and you're listen, living in disobedience to his word and you have no fear of God, I'm going to tell you, you need to wake up. But if you're living doubting your salvation and constantly living in fear of that, and you don't know that God knows the hair on your head, and he loves you, and he's forgiven you, you need to wake up to his love. But we all need to be working out, acting out, 
whatever either motivation is for where you are, what God has done for us. People should know a difference when they come in that door. Northgate people, man. They seem to really love the Lord and walk with the Lord. There's fruit from their lives. Doesn't matter what church we go to, if we say we're believers, we should be acting out who we are. But we have to have that living experience to know that God is so real that he is greater than any disobedience. And I do want to say this clearly. Too many of us are reading the Bible as an academic book to find little nuggets of change instead of reading it as a living book that presents a living Savior who wants to speak to you each and every day. And that's what a real relationship involves. I hear from God in his word, through prayer, in the Holy Spirit, every day. And no one in this room can convince me that he is not alive. But if you never have that experience, it's a textbook and you write down devotions. Okay, um, Philippians 2, uh, here's the word. How does it apply to you? How does it change you? How is it living to you? How is God working in your life. I remember sitting on a bench in Florida. I was just there but many trips ago. Sitting with an atheist. He was living in sin. And he said to me, I used to believe in God, but I don't believe in God anymore. And you can't show me that God's real. I looked at him and I said, you can't show me that God's not real. I have so many experiences of how he supernaturally moved in my life. And I started giving him some. Oh, that's coincidence. But after a while, he didn't know what to say. But he was choosing to live in sin. And I told him, God loves you so much. If you will open yourself to him, he will make himself real to you. I never forgot that conversation sitting there but some of us need to have that conversation today you cannot show me that god is not real he is alive he wants to impact you with his truth his holy spirit in his word his logos his rhema in your life to show you that he loves you and he wants you at times to fear him because he wants to protect you from the danger of sin. Amen? If my son's going to touch the hot stove, he's four years old, I'm going to say, don't touch it. If you touch it again, I'm going to give you a little pinchy on your hand. I'm going to cause him a little pain because I know there's greater pain if he puts his hand on the hot stove. And that's God, the loving Father, with you. He disciplines us to protect us from what he knows is trying to kill us, that being sin. Does that make any sense? Okay, so the final verse, which is actually, ooh, I'm really excited. For it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. 
okay, Pastor Dan, I got to get up. I got to obey. This is really hard. And then, yeah, it's hard. But then Paul gives us this amazing verse here. He says, if you even just choose to believe God in this, he's going to give you the power to do it anyways. Oh, I don't have the energy today. God says, I got lots of energy. I don't have the power today. I can't defeat this sin. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I have given you all power to live a godly life in this age. There is nothing you cannot conquer because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are flowing with God's power. The question is, do you believe it? <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I say that. Okay, forget about you. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm afraid I don't want to do this. Oh, I love you. I don't want to do this. I need to hear God say to me, listen, I've given you all power in Christ Jesus to live a godly life. That body God's given you physically to exercise spiritually, he's given you the spiritual perfect body to conquer all sin because he's deposited himself in you. And most of us are living in disobedience because we don't understand this. That you have everything you need in Jesus. Everything. Everything. God doesn't give us a promise for no reason. Okay, back to ex exhibit A, complaining. I just, just got to complain. The weather, it stinks in Canada. My job, it stinks, it stinks. My kids, they stink. <laughs> My spouse, they stink. I stink. We complain about ourselves probably most of all. And we just make it a pattern and a disease. I can't conquer this. And here he says, get up. In your belief, put on your belief faith shoes that God's going to give you the power not to complain anymore, but you have to choose to act out to believe that he is in you and he's going to conquer all sin. You know how many times in the last two years I've sat with people and I said to them, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can't do it. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. It's too hard. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can't beat this. It's too hard. Hey, can you just be quiet for a minute? You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You have all divine power in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to act out your salvation. We have the power to change this community. We have the power to change our province. Not because we have any strength in ourselves, but if we will choose to believe the one in us, it starts one neighbor at a time, one person at a time. As I do what he says, in his power, God will produce fruit. Amen. given us all power to do incredible things, to defeat sin. And he says this, just to kick it off, I love this, for his good pleasure. And in the Greek, it's for his delight. There's sometimes when I see people use their gifts for the Lord, I just like get giddy in my heart. This morning in worship, I heard you all singing, and I was like, oh God, your church is so great. I was getting giddy, like delighting in worship because people were praising God. Now imagine what God gets like when he sees you walk out your faith, put on your shoes, and believe him. He is delighted. 
And some of us have a wrong picture of God that he's like, I'm going to get you. We get stuck on the fear and trembling thing, right? Like, even if you do it right, you could have done it better. And that's how we picture God, because maybe our parents were like that. Maybe that's how we think some baggage in life. I got an A minus, and God's saying, why did you get an A plus? That's not the God of the Bible. He says he's given you everything you need. You have the body to walk with him. You have the spiritual strength. And when you do it, he is one happy God. Because it gives all glory to him. It's not about me getting glory. It's about him getting glory. And when I do what he wants, people say, wow, what God do you serve? This is pretty amazing. Let me check him out because I know you couldn't do that in your own strength. But with God, all things are possible to him or her that believes. Believes in what? That he has died for you, that he lives in you, and that he's given you all power to do what? To act out your salvation. Not to earn his love, but just to be what you are called to be. That is this verse. Amen been my prayer i don't want you to teach you to walk out of here oh good sermon pastor dan that was exciting you were excited are you back from vacation what's wrong no i want you and i believe as i pray god wants you to take his truth to come alive to live the life that your life is meant to be different in christ jesus don't leave this place not knowing the truth but knowing that it becomes a part of your life that's why you come to church to be built up edified in truth empowered to do what God wants you to do and when Satan comes like Jim this morning would you get lost that is not who I am in Christ Jesus but you got to put on your shoes and your flesh and the devil's going to want you not to work out your salvation so I put on my shoes go running yeah thank you Lord You've given me power to do this. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to see my friends who don't talk to me at the Smith's Falls Arena. And here's the crazy thing. I can run and work out whether I'm in Florida or Smith's Falls or at the cottage. I can work out and I can look at things and I can be like, oh, this is great. It's not dependent where you go to church or where you live or what you do. Your relationship with Christ bypasses circumstances and things. It's greater. His experience with him goes everywhere in this world and you can live out in his power what you are wherever you are. Old Testament example, just to give you a little, Abraham taking the people of Israel. They're supposed to go in the land of Canaan within 50 days, becomes 40 years. They get to the edge of the land. God says, go in. They send in 12 spies. They're too big for us. We can't do it. 
They come back. Joshua and Caleb says, no, you can do it. Ten say no. They complain, we can't do it. We don't have the strength. They don't do it. Then they live in misery. That's the example. By faith, they could have walked in the land knowing God could give them the power to defeat the enemy and live the life they should have lived. But because they didn't have faith and they didn't obey, they lived in misery. Even though they had this relationship with God, it became legalistic instead of living in the power of the Spirit. And that's what happens to us. God's calling you in faith to claim your inheritance of his divine power to live in holiness. But the sin in Hebrews for them was unbelief. These are the faith shoes. Now I'm living in unbelief. I'm not working out. I'm doing what I want. New Testament example. Just so you would know, Peter is in the boat sees Jesus, he's afraid, a little fear, walking. If that's really you, call to me and I will come out to you. Jesus say, hey, come on, let's walk on water. Peter, believing, trusting, puts on his faith shoes to work out what he believes. Yeah, he put on his shoes to, get, to walk on the water. Just kidding. Anyways, walks, and what happens the moment he looks at circumstances, the world, there goes his faith, takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks. Jesus, in his graciousness and his mercy, picks him up and says, why did you look at the storm? Here, again, the example is, you choose to work out in faith, to get out of the boat when he's called you something, to walk out your salvation in truth. The reason you're going to sink is if you take your eyes off Jesus and what he's done for you, but you could do some pretty amazing things when you look at him and do what he says, acting out your salvation. It's all through the Bible, but it's your choice today. Do you want to start working out? And I want to tell you one last thing. Here's what my wife said. You want to go running today, honey? Well, I don't have. And then one day she said to me, you know what? If I work out once a week, once a month, it does me no good. I got to work out every day or three or four times a week. I got to get at it, and then I'm okay. If you just want to experience God and get in his word and pray once a month, you ain't going to get any stronger. Life is about the continuous, everyday trusting of God. Well, I trusted him three months ago. It was pretty good. And I created this moment, and I'm thinking about it, but I'm not really acting out my salvation now. It's just like exercise. you got to get up every day to do what God's asking you to do, even if your flesh doesn't want you to do. But if you want to do it once a year or once a month, it's going to be really hard every time you strap on those shoes. I've learned life isn't about big moments of experiencing God. Life is about a continual relationship in his presence. And if you're waiting for a big baboom or firecrackers, they're great, don't get me wrong. You're missing out on the everyday acting out. God, you're with me. I had an incredible week and nothing big happened. Do you believe that? I just woke up every morning. God, you're so real. I went to bed. Oh, God, you're so good. It's not every week, but it was this week. I'm driving around. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. I don't even know why. It was no big event. I had to get up early. I had to go to bed late sometimes. Oh, God, you're good. But it wasn't in a big moment looking for a moment. It wasn't Disney World. It wasn't firecrackers. It was just the stars every day that you see that shine. But you got to get rid of the busyness of the lights of the city to see the stars. 
And God wants to walk with you every single day as you act out your salvation and give you power. Don't wait for the next big event. Oh, there's prayer tonight. I'm going to be there. We're going to rock it. You could walk with God all afternoon. Just enjoy him, be in his presence, even when you're cooking lunch, talking to people. Ah, because he lives in you and he loves you. So get on those shoes, those shoes of faith, no matter your circumstance, and walk with him. Because when I run now, a lot of times it's not a discipline, it's a delight. Holy smokes. Sorry if that offended you. There's days I look forward to putting on my sneakers because it's not so much work, it's joy. I love the feeling. I love being with the Lord when I run. Not every day, but it's getting more and more. So it hasn't become this drudgery of I have to do it where I needed the discipline. It's become a delight where I need it. Ooh, could you imagine a church that just wanted to be with God every day because they needed it and they loved it and they had joy in it and it wasn't a job or a have to. It was like, I can't do anything without God. And he is with me and he delights in me and he's giving you all power. So work out your salvation with his divine power for his delight. Amen? Amen. All right, thank you, Jesus. You are great and you are good. And you've spoken to us. And this morning, maybe we need to obey. Maybe we're living in sin. And I don't want to be afraid to say this. If you're living in sin, God's calling you out of that. If you're complaining, I don't know what it is. If you're sexually being where you're not supposed to be, whatever it is, I don't know, maybe you're stealing, you name it, it doesn't matter. God says you're forgiven, come out of that and obey me. And now he says, walk with me. Doing what I say with my power. Holy Spirit, right now, would you speak to us? May your spirit be so strong in this place that everybody would feel your conviction to good or to bad. Holy Spirit, we need you to speak to us, to come alive to us. Holy Spirit, every person, if there's something we need to change or rethink or have faith in or choose for your glory, now is the time. Speak to us, Lord. Lord.